Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Well, we're going to get into a topic that we've been on that I think has been life-changing for a lot of people. Um, It's been really, really fun and interesting to watch how uh, God is moving in the lives of people as we talk about the idea of heaven and hell. We wanted to take this approach and really just give you some understanding about the realities of heaven and hell. And, um, and there's a few things that I've said each week that I want to re-say to you again, just so you're aware. Firstly is I'm not an expert on heaven and hell. Uh, I am on a journey just like you are. And so I, won't, I have not been able to answer all the questions. There's a lot of questions. You know, all these different great questions. And I really encourage you to send me a, uh, a, a, an email. Send me your questions, and I'd love to, to go on a journey to answer them with you. The second thing that I've shared every week and said, these are just kind of things that we need to understand, is that I, I will probably say things that you won't like. And the reality is, is that, uh, is that um, I'm committed to sharing the truth of God's word with you, and these are not my opinion. These are not opinion pieces on the Bible. These are not uh, perspectives that I've gathered through my search of philosophy. These are all founded directly on the Bible, the scripture, which I believe to be the only moral truth in our world. And so this foundation of truth is where we teach from today. And, um, and, and so I want you to know that there, there are things that I'm going to say that you don't like. I do have two positions that I've had, and I've said this every week. Number one, God does not send people to hell. God does not send people to hell. To hell. Randy Alcorn in heaven said this, heaven is not our default destination. No one goes there automatically. Unless our sin problem is resolved, the only place we will go is our true default destination, which is hell. Hell will be inhabited by people who haven't received God's gift of redemption in Christ. And so God does not send people uh, to hell. Our life has many choices and our choices on earth will impact our future eternity and f- future destiny. And so each, every one of us on this life has been given choices uh, to live a certain type of life, to, to make decisions, and we all have a free will to make those decisions. And those decisions will direct us towards an eternal, uh, eternal uh, result that will end when you die. And we will end up uh, finding out what those two things are. And today we'll talk a little bit more about those things. Last week, if you say, I'm not, I'm not going to spend very much time on hell today. Everyone say hallelujah. I'm not going to spend too much time on hell today. Uh, but if you want to uh, hear about, I took a, a good chunk of time last week and taught on the idea of hell. We will talk about it for just a, a nanosecond today, but it won't be the primary uh, point of our message today. Last week we talked about what happens when I die and I walked you literally through exactly what the Bible teaches that this is what happens when you die and this is the result of that. This week we're going to talk about how will the world end? Uh, I didn't even charge you today. That's awesome. How did the world end? How did the world end? How, How is the world going to end when all of this culminates to the conclusion of time and the curtain is closed. We all know the world is going to end sometime. And the Bible actually teaches us how the world will end. Now, I want you to know, I, for those of you who are Christians in the room and have gone to church, I am not taking a position on, es, uh, it's called eschatology. Whether it's before or after or during, that's up to Jesus! We're just going to talk about today, there is going to be an end, and we're going to just, uh, just based on Scripture, talk about that. The Bible says we really don't know how, uh, when it's going to happen, we just know it's going to. So uh, the reality is, is that. And so how will the world 
end. So right now we are living in, as the Bible teaches, last days. And these last days are a way to say it would be, we are in the already, but the not yet. We're living in this already, not yet season. And Peter teaches us that when the last days started in 1 Peter 1.20, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he, meaning Jesus, has now revealed, or God has revealed Jesus to you in these last days. And so when Jesus came back to earth, uh, or came to earth the first time, I'm sorry, he uh, started this, this last days. That's when la the last days began. And all throughout scripture, we're taught that we are currently living in these last times, in these end times, in these last days, in the days we are working towards the culmination of when God will wrap up this entire thing that we know as earth, and we will come into the final, uh, 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 final purpose of God's original plan. Look at what, look what Jesus said in Revelations chapter 22, 20. He who testifies to these things, which is Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And so what does that mean, Ryan? What, what does it mean that he's coming soon? The end is coming. Well, basically it means that the present course of history will come to an end when Jesus returns Again, plainly put, Jesus came to the earth once to bring salvation, and Jesus will come back again to reestablish the new earth where his kingdom will reign as originally planned. But remember, Acts 1-7 says, he told him, Jesus said to them, you don't get to know the time. The timing is Father's business. It's up to him. So just stop trying to get in the Father's business and stop trying to worry about when it's going to happen and just get yourself ready. Start living a life that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, during the timing of the end of the world, according to most Bible scholars, is at the end of a thousand-year reign where Christ will reign on his throne in Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. And at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be released. And I'm not going to go into all this, and we can talk about it later in conversation. But Satan will be released, he'll be defeated, and then he'll be cast into the lake of fire. At that moment, all creation... All the dead, all the alive, believer, those who are not believers, those who do not believe in God, will have a final judgment, which we'll talk about today, a final judgment, which will be the end of the world. And the scripture teaches us this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, says this, But the day of the Lord, which is the end times, the last days, will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And so it will just happen. Like... You won't know when it comes. You won't know when to expect it. You can't prepare for it. It'll come like an unexpectedly as a thief. And Peter continues to teach us about what it will look like when this end happens. It says that the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements of themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and the everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. So this is a, this is a, a, a cataclysmic event. This is a loud uh, sound in heaven. The Bible says it's a roar. It's a great noise. It's a thunderous crash. There'll be a, a loud noise. And the scripture says that the sky and everything above it will pass away. The physical universe, the galaxy, the stars, the, everything that we see will be cons consumed in some sort of tremendous, this cataclysmic explosion and there will be a loud and you will absolutely know don't worry you will know the end is coming there won't be any question when this cataclysmic thing happens whether or not this is it you will know when this whole thing happens and the bible insinuates that there will be a fiery destruction of all of the earth 
All the elements that make up the universe, the scripture teaches, will be burned in a fervent heat. And the scripture says, but we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. He has promised a, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, which is what we'll spend most of our time talking about today. And 2 Peter verse uh, 14 says, and remember, I'm sorry, 15, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I want you to be encouraged by that today, that the Lord is waiting for his people. It's not like he has, you know, he has like, okay, I want 200,000 people to get saved and I'm gonna just bring my, my fire down. No, he wants every single person, every single person on this planet to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he is patiently enduring and loving kindness, compassionate. He's slow to anger and quick to love. And he's waiting, then he's waiting. It doesn't mean you should wait until you're on your deathbed. It means he's waiting for people to respond because he knows that when that day comes, the result of that day will be definite, will be final, will be eternal. And so he's patiently waiting for all men to recognize that God was not only the creator of their body, but he was the, he was the savior of their life when he came back to earth. And even though they were stuck in sin and shame and guilt and addiction and brokenness and felt like I hated God and I was lost, still he came and died and rose on the third day for you, that you might spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ and you might experience what we're going to talk about today in the new heaven and in the new earth. So the, this happens, this cataclysmic event happens. And then the Bible teaches that there will be a judgment. This is this part you're not going to like a little bit, but I want you to go, I'm going to walk you through it to help you understand very clearly the results of this judgment. And that's actually pretty cool. Um, hey, James, there's a box around the corner. Want to grab that box for me? Thanks, bud. I forgot to bring it out. Look at these scriptures. Hebrews chapter 9, 27. It is, appeared, uh, it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and, 9 and 10. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 27. Thank you, James. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So now Paul, what Paul does on this next verse is he just basically spells it out for us exactly what's going to happen in Romans 2. He says, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and the, uh, and the immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Now, if I could not talk about this in hell, I would gladly do so. I would gladly make it all about peaches and cream and heavenly, heavenly fun and me dunking a basketball over Michael Jordan. That would be what I would make it all about. But in reality, we got to talk about hell because there is an there is a, there's two realities, a heaven and a hell. And there's two realities that when you and I die, I don't want you to be shocked when you get there and say, why didn't anybody tell me that there was a judgment? Like the, like, the reason I'm telling you this is because I really do love you. Like, I want you to know that this is not from a place of me wanting to fearmonger you into joining our church or being a Christian or coming to God. I just want you to know the truth of what's going to happen when the curtain closes on, each, on, on this world and you're standing before Jesus and you're standing in judgment and you say, why didn't someone tell me? That's why I'm telling this to you. Because I want you to know the Bible is 100% accurate. It is the moral truth of God. And if the Bible teaches it, it must be true. So when you and I come to a time in our life 
where we have a judgment when the curtain closes. We stand before Christ, and there's two judgments that happen. The first judgment is the great white throne. Actually, John was given a revelation by Christ of what this looks like in Revelations chapter 20. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him sitting on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead in them, and each one of them was judged according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found having been written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this judgment is for those who do not, by the time they die, accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And this is not a fear-mongering. This is just a moment where I just want to tell you what Scripture teaches. So please hear my heart. This is what happens to those who reject the idea that God is God, that Jesus is God, who reject a relationship with Christ, who reject surrendering the life to God, who reject living a life uh, that is committed to God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know it sounds like a fear tactic, but it is just from Scripture. And the reality is, is that for those who I pray for every day, that's why this church exists. This church doesn't exist to tickle your funny bone. This church exists to reach the 800,000 people in the city of Calgary who are bound to spend an eternity in hell, judged and spend an eternity in the lake of fire. That's why we exist as a church. And so this is what happens. And because sin is included in, in works, this is the difference. As, as sinners, as people who fall short of the glory of God, as people who live in a, a broken uh, a world, we, without Christ, we are, we are destined to, to live for ourselves and for our sin. Therefore, every work we do, even good works, are through the, 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 the frame of sin and not being redeemed through Christ. So every good work you do will not be counted as righteousness for you because they were done unto ourselves. And so that great white throne, but let's, let's shift gears into the other judgment, which is kind of a, an interesting word that was used to define the judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. And Hebrews talks about it in Hebrews 9. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, but not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So this judgment uh, does not deal with the issue of forgiveness and sin. This, this does not deal with your salvation. So the judgment for a believer has nothing to do with your sin, has nothing to do with your shortcomings, has nothing to do with the mistakes you've made from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. If you accepted Jesus Christ when you were 15 and had a passionate relationship with him, you've got about 60 years or 70 years of terrible sinning. Don't worry, you're going to sin a lot through those years. But guess what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ covers a multitude of sin. And when God looks at you, he does not even remember the sin that's in your life. Isn't that crazy? So when when you stand before the judgment seat of God, he does not see the, the addiction you had or the marriage problems you had or the shortcomings you had. He doesn't see that you made bad choices in that business or that you made that bad financial misgiving and that you basically screwed up a good chunk of your life. He just sees the fact that you are redeemed and without his grace and forgiveness in your life, you are bound to destruction. So he looks at you and sees nothing but whiter than snow, righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when you stand before him, look at these verses here. 
Ephesians 1, 7, he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness in us along with all wisdom and understanding. Look at this, Isaiah 43, 25. I, yes, I alone, look at this, will blot out your sins for my own sake. So who's for whose sake? I'm doing it. He says, I'm doing it for my sake. And guess what? I will never think of them again. Somebody say, hallelujah. <laughs> I will never think of them again. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of files. This is my files. Yours are probably smaller. <laughs> oh, just a few more. Don't worry. That was just before I met Steph. <laughs> so here we have the judgment seat of Christ. And you walk up in front of me. I'm not Jesus. Don't worry. That's, not a, that's also not a doctrine I have. And as you stand before him, you have to know something, that he still knows you're a sinner. It's not like he looks at you and says, wow, you're really perfect. No, he still sees the fact that you're, and I'll say it the way I would say it to myself, a real screw-up sometimes. He sees the fact that you're not that great of a husband sometimes, or great a father, or that you see stuff you shouldn't, or do stuff you shouldn't, or act in a way you shouldn't. He knows you're a sinner. You haven't tricked him or bamboozled Jesus. So he's aware of it, but he doesn't even think about it because when he opens up this folder, all he sees is paper that is washed whiter than snow. So even though he says, man, Ryan, you really needed my blood. <laughs> you really needed redemption. Aren't you thankful that you gave your life to me, Ryan? Yeah. Aren't you thankful that you served me all the days of your life and here you stand before a God who's pouring out his wrath and anger for those who reject God? And as you, as a follower of Jesus, stand before me and say, I have taken everything and made it whiter than snow. Now, all the deeds that I've done in my life, all the good works that I've done in the name of loving God, if I love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I will love my neighbor as myself. Many Christians are saying, I want to love my neighbor as myself. Why can't I figure it out? Because you haven't loved the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so once you start a relationship with God, when you start this journey with him, you start to do things in your life that you start to act a certain way and talk a certain way and live a certain way. And yeah, you still make mistakes and you fall short. And you see things you shouldn't, you do things you shouldn't. And you're a big screw up. Just get over the fact that you're going to be a big screw up. But you're sure going to do a lot of things in the name of God. And those are the things in which you'll say, man, wow, Ryan, you uh, did this or you served it. Works. Now, works. I want you to hear me. Works. You get into the present heaven right now, the, the current heaven through faith. But when faith, when, when all this is wrapped up, then he's going to look at your, the works you did in the name of Jesus Christ for, out of love for him. And this works will now determine the life that you will live in the new heaven and the new earth. So heaven, this new heaven and this new earth is determined by what we will do on this planet. And this is what we're going to spend our next four or five weeks on as our series, Heaven on Earth, We'll be talking about how to live a life with heaven in mind. We're talking about marriages. My wife's going to preach in a couple weeks on how to be a mama and how to be a woman with eternity in mind. We have a guest speaker, Jen Duxbury, is going to come. She's going to be talking about how to live with heaven in mind. I'm going to do a message about li living with heaven in mind. Next two weeks about heaven on earth. Jesus came to earth and he put heaven in you. So now you can experience glimpses of that heaven now. Maybe you're here today and you say, Ryan, I'm afraid of this judgment. I bet if I took a show of hands as a person who maybe has been in church for a long time but doesn't fully understand this judgment, you say, you say, I'm afraid to be judged by God. I don't even know if that's the right word. 
but judged. I want you to know that if you just continue to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the scripture says this. Look at this. 1 John 4. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. You got nothing to fear. You truly commit your life, you give him your heart, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Everything you do will now be to love your neighbor. And he's going to look at him and say, come on, Ryan, come into my kingdom. Well, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'm going to believe the same thing for your life. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go a little bit back to what's the, what's the so once we're judged, uh, great white throne, what happens next? People who stand before the great white throne who have not accepted Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, they will be sent to e- eternal hell. And the scripture says in, in, in Revelations 20, verse 15, if anyone was not found having been written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, you might think it's an actual lake of fire. I, after all of my consideration and study, I believe that it is a uh, metaphorical, but it is like fire because it's constant torment. Um, I don't believe that people will be thrown into a literal lake of fire where they'll be swimming for an eternity in fire. It was a reference used to describe the word Guiana, which was identified by Jesus when he talked about hell. Guiana was outside of Jerusalem. It was in the Valley of Hinnom, and it was used back in, prior to the reign of Josiah, where they would sacrifice their children in the Valley of Hinnom. They would line their children up in a line, and they would take them out there, and they would sacrifice them alive in a burning fire uh, to the Moloch god. And so as they were going into to this, this place of, 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 of uh, Gihana, they would be burned alive, and then Josiah came and eradicated that, and then it became a refuge heap, uh, like a garbage dump, where they would burn their fire. So there's constant fire there because they're burning their garbage. That was the, the word Jesus used to describe this eternal damnation. And if you want to understand more about hell, go back to last week's message and understand a lot of the same realities and components will be there. But it's very important you understand that right now, Gehenna, or the hell that we will have when the world ends, is not occupied right now. Right now, uh, uh, people who are living in hell right now are currently in the place of Hades, which is a present hell, which is only temporal. They will eventually be uh, uh, relocated to this place, Gehenna, where they will be outside the city gates of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem and the new earth, and they will be in this place for eternity. A lot of teaching says, just been, a lot of different teaching says that they will cease to exist. That's not true. A lot of people say that, um, that you, the people in hell can get back into heaven. That's not true. You are there for an eternal reality because in a place of hell, you are only concerned about your sovereign self. You are your own God and could never bring yourself to yield your life to the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so when that happens, this is why I want you to invite as many people as you can to our Easter Sunday service, or I want you to tell as many people as you can about Jesus because that eternal, that, that eternal reality sounds pretty terrible. Now, let's get to what happens to uh, those in the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. In Revelation 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things 
has passed away. This is the climax of everything that God intended uh, for all of his creation. This is the climax where we come to the new heaven and the new earth. It will be a wonderful place where there is God's dwelling. God dwells there. There's no sin. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no disease. There's no tears. There's no pain. There's no suffering. It's a place of constant joy. The new earth and the resurrected earth will be, will be with our resurrected bodies, finally free from sin and shame and everything that hinders us from experiencing experiencing true joy, true fulfillment, and true satisfaction. And so when the new heaven and the new earth comes, it will be, I believe, after all my study, and I believe this is very proven in scripture, it will be a restoration of what we see on this earth. Randy Alcorn says it like this. As humans, we long for home even as we step out to explore undiscovered new frontiers. We long for the familiarity of the old, even as we crave the innovation of the new. Think of all the things we love that are new. Moving into a new house, the smell of a new car, the feel of a new book, a new movie, a new song, the pleasure of a new friend, the enjoyment of a new pet, a new presence on Christmas, staying in a nice new hotel, arriving at a new school, a new workplace, welcome uh, in a new child or grandchild, eating new foods that suit our taste. We love newness, yet in each case, what is new is attached to something familiar. We don't really like things that are utterly foreign to us. Instead, we appreciate fresh and innovative variations on things that we already know and love. So when we hear that in heaven we will have new bodies and live on a new earth, that's how we should understand the world new, a restored and perfected version of our familiar bodies and familiar earth and our familiar relationships. He continues. He says this, This world, including its natural wonders, gives us a foretaste and a glimpse of the next world, including its culture, gives us foretastes and glimpses of the next life. When I'm eating with people here, enjoying food and friendship, it's a bridge to when I'll be eating there and enjoying food and friendship. Every joy on earth, including the joy of reunion, is an inkling, a whisper of a greater joy. The Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Amazon rainforest, the Serengeti Plain, these are rough sketches of the new earth. One day we may say the best parts of the old world were sneak previews of this one, like little foretastes, like licking the spoon from mama's beef stew an hour before supper. All of our lives we've been dreaming of this new earth. And whenever we see beauty in the water, Beauty in the wind or flower or deer, man, woman or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships and personal joy. Every beach you've walked on, every mountain you've climbed, every jungle you've pressed through will be the same but new. I mean, look at this Grand Canyon, just a glimpse. And the Alps, just a and the Amazon rainforest, and the Serengeti Plain, and my favorite, the beach. It didn't say that, so I thought it down there. The beach. <laughs> what will heaven be like? Well, heaven will be like a country, the scripture teaches. It says, people who say such things show they are looking for a country. Hebrews 11. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly country. And in a country, we have large territory of various geographies and citizens of diverse cultures and vocations and sometimes even languages and under one government, but provides common identity. Uh, the new heaven, uh, the new earth will be uh, like a city. It, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a 
city for them. A city is a place where there's uh, a, a city where there's a place where there's residents and there's inhabitants and there's busy activity and there's community events and there's education and there's arts and there's visitors and there's fun, the bustling fun of a city uh, and all the, the great things except for all the nasty stuff that goes on in the city. Look what Randy Alcorn says, and I'm going to reference him a lot. So just, it's like you've read a book today, but it's okay. Heaven is a place of great beauty, both natural created beauty and architect, including streets of gold buildings of pearls and emeralds and precious stones. Heaven will have the advantages we associate with earthly cities without the disadvantages of crime, pollution, corruption. Heaven's gates are always open. People will travel in and out, some bringing treasures into the city. Travel outside the city shows that the city is not the whole of the universe, of the heaven, but merely its center. The great city is the capital of an endless empire called a heavenly country. There is a universe outside the city's gates to which its citizens have free Access. Okay, so what will we be like in heaven? What will, what will we be like? Well, we will be human with human bodies. Jesus taught this right after uh, he rose from the dead. It says in Luke chapter 24, he said, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. He said, as you see that, I do. All throughout Scripture, we see that Jesus references here that the body will be resurrected. Bodies will be resurrected. This is what a, para, uh, a, para, a quadriplegic said. Her name is uh, Joni Erickson Tata. She said, I can still hardly believe it. With, shri with shriveled, bent fingers and atrophied muscles and gnarled knees and no filling from shoulders down, we'll one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling, can you imagine the hope this gives someone with a spinal cord in, in injury like me or someone who's cerebral palsied, brain, in, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is a manic depressant. No other religion and no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. We will have our names in heaven. You see, all throughout Scripture, Jesus used, and I don't believe it was a, an allegory or an example or a fantasy, Jesus used the name in Luke 16 of Lazarus. He used the name Abraham. We see Elijah. We see all these different usages of people's names throughout Scripture. I believe that we will actually have our own names in heaven. We will be unique individuals. Look what C.S. Lewis said. Your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it. Made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. Look what Randy Alcorn said. He said, what makes you you? It's not only your body, but also your memory, personality traits, gifts, passions, preferences, and interests in life. In the final resurrection, I believe all of these facets will be restored and amplified, untarnished by sin and the curse. And do you remember a time when you really felt good about yourself? Do you remember a time? <laughs> not in pride or arrogance, but when you sensed you honored God and helped the needy? and were faithful and humble and servant-hearted like Jesus? Do you remember when you encouraged someone and when you experienced who you were meant to be? When you were running or swimming or working and you felt you were strong enough to go on forever even though later you could hardly get out of bed? That was a little taste of who you will be in heaven. We will be highly emotional people. All throughout scripture, we see that God got angry. Remember the time Jesus was so upset? He ran into the temple and flipped over that table and the money changers. He was so ticked. 
And Jesus came in and flipped these tables over. He was angry. Jesus wept. Jesus had compassion. Jesus grieved. Jesus even felt when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was so not wanting to go to the cross that he pleaded with God to take it from him. If God was such a highly emotional being, why do we think that when we get to heaven, we will be like these drones that don't experience anything at all? We are going to have high, high emotions. The Bible teaches only in the new heaven and the new earth where there'll be no sorrow, no tears, no pain, no, all those things. When we get to the present heaven, we will experience the realities of what's happening in this cosmic battle that's happening between Satan and, and God. And we will watch it all and we will feel it, but we will have a different perspective on it. We will have a perspective of redemption and grace and God. But when we get into the new heaven and the new earth, all of our emotions will be redeemed and they will all be good. So when you get super excited, do you cry a lot? <laughs> you cry a lot because you're walking down the street in heaven and you taste that orange and it's so good. I just can't stop crying. This tastes so amazing. You're just going to cry. I mean, all you men are just going to cry like babies. You're just going to be like, Ooh. all you girls who aren't allowed to cry are going to cry even more. It's okay. Emotion will, will be very, very emotional people. We will have intimate godly relationships with each other. When uh, a bunch of folks came in this morning, we, were having, we have a huddle every morning at 8.45, and our, a lot of our team shows up at 8 and 8.45, and a bunch of them came in, I thought, and Erica was eating breakfast out of a styrofoam bowl, and um, I just thought, you know, this is going to be like heaven, except the food's going to be even ama more amazing, and it won't be styrofoam, because that's bad for the environment in Indiana. <laughs> people coming in, and they were eating food, and all these people, all these people, I love all of you, like, I love these people, I love spending time with these people, and I just felt joy and warmth in my heart. I thought, this is a glimpse of heaven right now. Like, right now, this is a glimpse of heaven, experiencing the presence of God, being around one another, having faith, loving the Lord, being in an environment where you're accepted and approved and loved. This is a glimpse of what heaven will be like, just a small fragment of what heaven will be like when we get there. It's beautiful relationships that we will have. How many of you can't wait to stop having crappy relationships? Yeah. You just can't wait to get to heaven and you don't have to assume the worst of people when they say something to you. You're not thinking, I wonder what he meant by that. Oh, you look really nice today, honey. Oh, yeah, right. You're just saying, you think my butt's big. <laughs> That's never happened. Look at this. We will have many desires. Holy desires. Everything that we want will be good with no wrong motivation. We will eat without gluttony. We will drink without drunkenness. We will admire beauty and express affection without lust. In the novel Safely Home, which I just got and started reading, it's a great book, Safely Home by Randy Alcorn, his character finally got to heaven and had a conversation with the king. And this is what he said. I feel like I'm drinking from the source of the stream. Does this mean I'll feel no more longing? And the king, the source, replies, you will have the sweet longing of desire that can be fulfilled and shall be again and again and again. Heaven is not the absence of longing, but it's fulfillment. Heaven is not the absence of the itches. It's a satisfying scratch with every itch. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he says this again. Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy come directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, adrenaline, sex drives, and the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Likewise, your imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God we accuse of being boring. Are we so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of having fun? <laughs> our apostol one of our apostolic oversights, Mark Buchanan, who's a professor at uh, um, 
Ambrose University, wrote a great book, and I, funny, him and I have been texting back and forth. He gave me a bunch of books to read, and I read them all, and I said, why didn't you tell me you wrote a book on heaven? He says, oh, I thought you had a lot to read, but this is a quote from his book. I love it. This is an amazing quote. Why won't we be bored in heaven? Because it's the one place where impulses to go beyond, to go home, are perfectly joined and totally satisfied. It's the one place where we're constantly discovering, where everything is always fresh, and the possessing of a thing is as good as the pursuing of it. And yet, where we are fully at home, where everything is as it ought to be, and where we find un undiminished that mysterious something that we never found down here. And this lifelong melancholy that hangs on us, this wishing we were someone else, somewhere else, it vanishes too. Our craving to go beyond is always fully realized. Our yearning for home is once and for all fulfilled. The awe of deep satisfaction and the aha of delight, surprise, meet and they kiss. Don't you love that? Okay, so what will we do in heaven? Well, the first thing to do is we're going to rest. When God created the heavens and the earth, he rested. We will sleep in heaven. I believe that we will not experience the same fatigue of pain when we run or when we work out, but we will still need the regenerative powers of sleep. God made sleep. God encouraged Adam and Eve to sleep. Don't you love to sleep? Don't you love it when you don't wake up in the middle of the night, when there's not a dog barking, when there's not a kid in the room, when you don't have to wake up, when you don't have to go to the bathroom, when your stomach isn't hurting, you just sleep all through the night and no little stinking kid wakes you up and you just sleep all night and you wake up and be like, oh, that was incredible. It's happened once in my life. And when I get to eternity, it's going to happen all the time. You're going to sleep. Because God teaches that you're supposed to have a Sabbath. If you want to have a taste of heaven, Stop taking a Sabbath every six months and take a Sabbath every week. My wife and I have been doing it for a while, 24-hour period. We sleep, we be together, we play games, we go on walks, we have fun, and I don't feel guilty about it, and I just experience a little taste of heaven when I got nowhere to be and nothing to do, and I'm ignoring all your calls, <laughs> and I'm resting. I just experience the regenerative spiritual influx in my life, this infusion of spirit. Now, am I physically tired? Oh, show. But is my spirit strong? Is my faith strong? Is my love for my family strong? I want to encourage you, church, work it into your schedule. Throw that at you. You know, he, uh, what else we'll do is we'll work. God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden and he, he told him to work. You know that, that work was prior to the fall? The only thing that made work tedious, terrible, frustrating, and boring, the only reason work for you is like this never-ending treadmill and like this constant thing that just goes and goes and goes, the only reason it's like that is because of the fall of man. But God actually intended us to work. Look what Randy Alcorn says here. He says, we'll rest from our labors on earth, but that doesn't mean constant activity. Well, we are told that we'll be reigning with Christ and serving him. That means we'll have plenty to do, but heaven's labor will be refreshing, productive, unthwarted, without futility and frustration. Hallelujah. He also says this, Adam and Eve and their children were to extend the blessings of paradise throughout the entire world. Salvation, therefore, restores man to his original calling and purpose and guarantees that man's original mandate to exercise dominion under God's, uh, over, God over the whole earth will be fulfilled. So what kind of work? Man, maybe you'll, make a, maybe you'll make a cabinet with Jesus, or maybe you'll go fishing with Peter, or maybe you will make a tent with Paul, or who knows what you're going to be doing, but all I know is it's going to be perfectly fitted for you. 
and you're going to love every second of it, and it's going to bring tremendous fulfillment. And every day you get to do it, you're going to have such joy. And guess what? You get to choose whether you want to do it or not. Hallelujah. <laughs> you get to wake up and say, you know what? I'm just going to sleep all day, and it's going to bring glory to the Lord. Some of you are just like, can we just do that now? I'm almost done. Don't worry. You can open and take a nap. Look at this. When my wife and I, a couple years ago, were in the Amalfi Coast, and uh, we go to Italy a lot, thank the Lord, and we were in the Amalfi Coast a couple years ago, and we had to climb over like 500 stairs or something to get there. And it was on the side of a hill. If you don't know what the Amalfi Coast is, it's this beautiful city on the side of a hill overlooking the ocean. And as we walked... We walked uh, underneath this vineyard, these vineyards, and they had lemons, and they had figs, and they had uh, grapes, and they had tomatoes, and vegetables, and they had, uh, you know, animals, and all sorts of things. And as we walked along, there's my daughter with a lemon in her hand, and here's the, the, the view that we had from the Amalfi Coast. And we sat up here, and there was fresh wine, and fresh limoncello, and fresh food. I had swordfish, and it was right fresh and caught that day. And this, to me, is kind of a picture of what heaven will be like. I want to own a vineyard on the ocean where I get to go and work and make wonderful wine and make good food and you guys can come and stay in our bed and breakfast and be refreshed as you visit this part of the universe and the little nook of the world that we have because we're bringing blessing to you and glorifying God. And I think about this moment and think this is just a small snippet moment where I was with the people that I love more than anyone else on the planet eating amazing food and good drink and looking out of the beautiful views thinking I literally have nowhere to be right now than in this moment forever. <laughs> That's what we'll do in the new heaven and the new earth. And guess what? It's for eternity. And everything we do will bring value and bring, and bring purpose to the name of Jesus Christ. We'll bring glory to God and everything that we do. We will forever experience this reality. Now I want to end, end today. I want to just show you this cute picture of my daughter. Isn't that cute? I want to end today with two excerpts from two things. Firstly, how many of you have ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle? There's a moment in this book, I want to just read it to you, the snippet of this book, and then I want to read one last thing from Randy Alcorn, and we're going to pray this morning. But in this current uh, story of, 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 of this time in this book, they had just gone through the door into the new heaven and the new earth. All of Narnia, the old Narnia had passed away and it had been destroyed. And now they're in this new world and they don't really know what it is. Let's read this together. You're going to love it. It's beautiful literature. C.S. Lewis wrote it. Look what it says. Then they all went forward together, always westward, for that seemed to be the direction Aslan, or God, had meant when he, cre when he cried out, further up and further in. Many other creatures were slowly moving the same way, but that grassy country was very wide and there was no crowding. It still seemed to be early and the morning freshness was in the air. They kept on stopping to look around and look behind them, partly because it was so beautiful, but partly also because there was something about it which they could not understand. It's, just, it's hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia, as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you'll get some idea of it if you think of it like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall of that room, opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window and you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass and the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones, yet at the same time they were somehow different, deeper, 
more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a story you've never heard but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock, every flower, every blade of glass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for for all my life, and though I've never knew it till now. And the reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. I was wondering if I was going to actually do that, but I thought, oh, I'll give her a try. Come further up, come further in. As we end today, I want to read this last excerpt from this book, Heaven. And at the end of it, there's, there's, a, there's an invitation for those of you in the room who don't know the Lord, or maybe you're far from God today. And maybe this today gives you a little bit of an understanding of why we serve Jesus. We don't just serve Jesus because we like the idea of religion. We serve Jesus because he not only changes our life here, but he also gives us an opportunity to spend an eternity with him in heaven. So here, let's read this together, this last part. And then I'll let you go this morning. It says this. Okay, so look out a window. Take a walk. Talk with your friend. Use your God-given skills to paint or draw or build a shed or write a book. But imagine it, all of it, in its original condition. The happy dog with the wagging tail, not the snarling beast beaten and starved. The flowers unwilted, the grass undying, the blue sky without pollution. People smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed and empty. If you're not in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've been, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, and snowdrifts. Think of friends or family members who you love Jesus and are with him now. Picture them with you walking together in this place, all of you, power, your powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You're laughing and playing and talking and reminiscing. You've never tasted anything so good. And now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus. With a big smile on his face, you fall to your knees and worship. He pulls you up and he embraces you. And at last, you're with the person you were made for and the place you were made to be. Everywhere you go, there will be new people and new places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that smell? A feast, a party's ahead, and you're invited. There's exploration, there's work to be done, and you can't wait to get started. And as a new car is a better version of the old car, but with the same essential components that make a car a car, four wheels, engine, transmission, steering wheels, the new earth will be a far better version of the old earth, but with the same essential components. Heaven will exist within the realm of the new earth and will therefore be very earthly in its properties. And since it's not only the dwelling place of God, but it's fashioned by God to be populated by people, the present heaven is also people friendly, designed with their God-given desires and interests in mind. We can learn about heaven by better understanding God. The more we know God, the more we know about his house and the more we know about his dwelling place. Say, Ryan, I want to know more about this heaven. I want to experience this heaven. I want to live this heaven. I want to have it. All you have to do is give yourself to a relationship with God today. And do you know that when you die, he will not see a single thing in your life. He only sees white paper. You've been washed whiter than snow. All of your sin has been forgiven. All those wretched, disgusting, gross things that you've never told anyone, God doesn't even think about it one more time. And this is the kind of new heaven 
and the new earth that you and I get to participate by simply yielding our heart to God and saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength on this earth that I might have that life in the heaven to come. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I do this every week because I want to give people an opportunity to respond. Would you just close your eyes for a moment this morning? You're here today and you say, there's two people. You say, Ryan, I am not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm, I'm not a follower of God. And I would like to give my life to him today. Maybe you're here today and it's your first time. You've never, ever accepted Jesus Christ. The second person is today, maybe you've been in the church for a long time, but you're really not a follower of God. And that's okay. You're here today. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond today if you'd like to give your life to God. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you forward. We're just going to say a simple prayer right now. So if that's you today, you say, Ryan, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. Whether I'm a new Christian or new to this or I'm old and I've never, I've been in the church for a long time and I, and I, I want to give my life to him again today. One if that's you, with every eye closed, would you just put your hand in the air today? Come on, just put your hand in the air today for me. Go ahead and put your hand in the air. Thank you, Lord. Okay, church, repeat after me, okay? Come on, all as a family together, let's pray for this person today. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today. I am in need of your your love. I admit I need you. I confess that you're God. I confess there's sin in my life. And I need your redemption. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I give you my heart, mind, soul, and strength today. And I want to spend an eternity in heaven with you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.